Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from Converge Church, now in progress. All right, we've been taking this journey through the book of Esther. We've landed uh, in Esther chapter number four, and uh, we're going to exegete a few verses uh, that will provide uh, context for today's message. So if you have your Bibles, we invite you to turn with us to Esther chapter four, Esther chapter four, and we will begin reading. Where are we going to begin reading, baby? Around verse 13. We'll begin reading right at verse 13. Uh, for those of you who are tech savvy, you can follow along with us on version. They're going to put instructions on the screen for how you can follow along on your mobile device on version. The notes are available there, and we invite you to follow along there. Amen. Uh, so here we are in the story where uh, Haman has devised this plot, this conspiracy against the Jews. He's going to annihilate all of the Jews in the entire kingdom of Persia, 127 provinces that span India through Ethiopia, a uh, significant domain uh, for uh, uh, Xerxes uh, the king. Uh, Haman uh, comes up with this conspiracy, and not only does he say, hey, this is what I'm going to do to you, he says, I'm going to give you a year to ponder what I'm about to do to you. We laughed and joked about that last week because most of you may have grown up in a household where you knew in the morning you did something wrong and you were about to get a whipping late at night. And you remember the sort of tension you were in all day anticipating that good whipping. Well, the Jews were in a similar type of situation because this edict had been announced, had been pronounced. They knew that they were going to be annihilated by Haman, but they had nowhere to run because in every province, this edict had been pronounced. They had nowhere to escape, and all they could do was to wait for their imminent annihilation. In fact, I mentioned this last week that tomorrow around the world, Jews will celebrate the festival of Purim. And the festival of Purim is a commemoration of God's deliverance of the Jews right here in Esther chapter four. Centuries later, Jews are still looking back and giving thanks for what God did through a young orphan named Esther. I just had a moment just now. And I just feel I need to encourage somebody and just say that God wants to use you. In fact, God wants to use you too. Because there is absolutely nothing about your life, absolutely nothing about your story that has taken you, taken him by surprise. He wants to use you. He wants to use you too. Oh, there's one more. He wants to use you still. That third one is for those of you who feel like you've, you're disqualified. Maybe you did something that, uh, or you've done something, or you're in a place that you feel like can God do anything with little old me? Little old broken me. Little old messed up me. Remember what the scripture says, that his gifts and callings are irrevocable. They are without repentance. Can I just say that there is, don't, there is absolutely nothing about you 
that is bigger than the grace of God. I think sometimes we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think that we can be bad enough to escape the grace and the goodness of God. Listen to me. Even when Jonah was running the opposite direction to Tarshish, he was still in the grip of God's grace. He was still in the grip of God's grace. And maybe this morning, God wants to invite each of us to remember that he still wants to use you in spite of your story, in spite of everything that life has thrown at you, in spite of everything that people have done against you, God still wants to use you. And the scripture says that God hasn't chosen many noble. He hasn't chosen many notable, but he has chosen the foolish things of this world. The things that this world has rejected, that's who he's chosen so that he can confound the wise. And so this morning, if you feel unqualified or underqualified or disqualified, you are the perfect candidate for the hand of God and the purpose of God to flow through you. Just as God didn't choose a noble woman, a young lady from royalty, he chose a little orphan girl named Esther. Are y'all with me this morning? And centuries later, we're celebrating what God did through this young girl. Maybe God wants to do something similar, just as significant through your ordinary life. I think this morning, I think what God wants us to do is just stir up some dreamers in the house. Yeah, I believe that's what he wants to do this morning. And we're going to talk about four things from the text that are essential in order for us to discover and live out God's purpose for our lives. If you've heard us say it once, you've heard us say it a thousand times, that where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. When we don't understand the purpose for which we were created, when we don't understand why we exist, when we don't understand why on earth we are here, we are bound to abuse the opportunities, the time, the gift, the talents, the treasure that God entrusts to us. We become poor stewards over our lives. That word abnormal simply comes from two wor- words, which means to, which is abnormal use, abuse, abnormal use. We begin to abnormally use what God has given and entrusted to us. So this morning, I believe that God wants to He wants us to reset. He wants to reset the trajectory of our lives and bring us back, bring us back so that we rediscover or maybe discover for the first time why on earth we're here. That's a critical question to answer. And that's something that we all should begin to have an appreciation for in our own lives personally. Got to realize that I'm here for more than just waking up, going to work, coming home, and going to sleep. There's got to be more to my life. There's got to be more to my life. One songwriter in the, in the late 90s, Stephen Curtis Chapman said, there's more to this life than just living and dying. More than just trying to make it through the day. And most people live in quiet desperation and they just live to make it through the day. They just live and they die 
but never truly discover why on earth they're here. And Esther and her, her cousin Mordecai, who is a surrogate father to her, they're about to have this aha moment where they both have this, 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 this moment of discovery and they begin to recognize, look, we're here for something much bigger, that God has placed us here for more than just a beauty pageant. The reason we're here is for something much bigger, much greater than just a title and a crown. And sometimes you and I will not discover the purpose for which we are created until we find ourselves in a place of adversity. True godly character is often forged in the crucible of crisis. And it's not until the crisis emerges that Esther and Mordecai begin to understand the real reason and the purpose why Esther was chosen and why Esther occupies the position that she occupies. And that's the first P. That is the first P. Uh, If we're going to be all in and fulfill God's plan for our lives, we first of all have to recognize our position. I started to talk about this last week, and I think sometimes it's lost on us because we stop asking ourselves that simple question, why am I here? Listen to me. Why am I here? In this place, in this position, at this time. In fact, we define position as simply this, a particular way in, some, in which someone or something is placed or arranged. A particular way in which someone or something is placed or arranged. Now, here's the good news. We recognize that everything that happens in our lives is by divine providence. That I am where I am, not because I just decided to take that job. Not just because I decided to come to Converge Church, not because there were other churches around. What we have to begin to recognize is that I am where I am by divine providence of God. If we don't recognize that we are where we are by the hand of God, that we have been placed and arranged in a specific place by a loving and providential God, we will lose sight of why we even there. It will become something that I can take or leave. It will become something that, well, I don't like that church. I'm just going to go to the next church down the street. I don't like that job. I'm just going to quit that job, and I'm going to go somewhere else. But when we begin to recognize that it is the hand of God at work in our lives, guiding us and moving us every step of the way, our perspective about our position begins to change. And that's why we read Acts chapter 17. And if you can put it on the screen again, it bears repeating. It's critical to understand. Listen to me. We live in a world that, that embraces human autonomy. That means I'm in charge of my life. I can do it the way I want to do, whenever I want to do. And that is what happened in the Garden of Eden. We no longer want to surrender and submit ourselves to God's plan and purpose for our lives. We want to take charge and do it our way. Well, it's my life, and I can do what I want to. But notice what Acts chapter 17 says. Let's begin at verse 26. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. I shared some of this with you last week, but it bears repeating. Notice what he says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Notice what it says, and he... God has determined their pre-appointed times. Listen to me. You're not alive in 2020 by accident. 
God determined the time, the century, the decade in which you would live. It was not just a decision that your mom and dad had to have another baby. It was God by divine providence and ordination who pre de determined the pre-appointed, not just the times, but notice what he says, and the boundaries of their dwellings. Listen to me. I don't care how many decisions you've made to move across the country. God has determined how far you would go and no further. You thought it was you. But all along, it was God who was saying, you're going to live at this time and you're going to live at this place and you ain't going to go a step or an inch further. When we begin to understand our position that God has divinely placed us where we are, that it is not by accident, it will begin to change how we view and how we see where we are. Notice what he said, verse 27. Why has God done that? The pre-appointed times and the boundaries for our lives. It says, so that they would seek the Lord in the hope that they may grope for him and find him. Every place that you are, and every place that you've been has been for one reason and one reason only, so you can encounter Jesus. You thought it was about the raise. You thought it was about the promotion. You thought it was about a better city with a better school system. You thought it was about better opportunities. But every single step of your life, even in the seasons of your life when God was anonymous, he was at work. And every single thing you experienced and went through was for one reason and one reason alone. When life was good and even when things were tight, it was for this reason, so that they would seek the Lord in the hope that they would grope for him. You know what that means? That, that means you, you know how y'all be in the dark? Groping and trying to reach and find God. It's as though he's not far from any of us. He's near. And so it's, here's Esther in the palace, and all of a sudden they have this epiphany. Why are you here? Are you just here to replace Vashti, or are you here for something much greater? Let's go down to verse 28. Verse 28 is critical because verse 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. I don't care how independent you thought you've been your whole life. God's been at work in every season, in every place, and he has determined the boundaries. And the reason he has determined the boundaries and the reason that he has brought you where he's brought you is so that you can seek him and find him. And when you understand your position as being divinely orchestrated of God, it will change. Here's the second thing. It will change your perspective. I'm taking my time to do this. I'm taking my time to do this. I'm taking my time to do this. Because I think God really wants to help us reframe what's happening in our lives right now. What's happening in our lives right now. Because when I understand my position, it will shift my perspective. Not just what I see, 
but how I see it. When God shows up in the Garden of Eden, and this is critical for us to understand what's transpiring in the Garden of Eden, but God shows up in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve are hiding, and God's question to Adam is, Adam, where are you? Now, the question has very little to do with where Adam is physically. Because if it's true that God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, and that God is omnipresent, he is present everywhere, then God wasn't asking Adam where he was because he couldn't find Adam. God wasn't asking Adam, Adam, where are you? Because God was failing at hide-and-go-seek. He's asking Adam this question. Because he wants Adam to recognize or at least to stop long enough to to ponder and self-reflect, do I know where I am? Listen, I know I'm in the Garden of Eden, but where am I? And can I tell you why it's important to know that, to ask ourselves that question? Remember God gives Adam this instruction. He said, look, man, you can eat of this tree of the knowledge. You can eat of every tree in this garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that what he said? And then all of a sudden comes the serpent, embodied by Satan, and he begins to tempt Eve. Now, what I find interesting about that story, I'm talking about the, how your position, understanding where you are, how it affects your perspective, how you see. Didn't God tell him, if you eat this fruit of this tree, you're going to die? What I find fascinating about this story is that when the temptation begins, Eve saw only good in what God said would kill her. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? If you don't know where you are, I'm talking about internally, I'm talking about spiritually, I'm talking about your heart, you can even be positionally in the Garden of Eden and be far away from God. To such a degree that what God said would kill you becomes attractive to you. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? And you can be in the Garden of Eden physically and be so far from God. So far from God. And that's why God said, Adam, where you at, man? Because I told you this is going to kill you. But you see it as something good for food. Something desirable to be eaten. And something desirable to make one wise. But I said, Adam, it will kill you. And the problem is, if we don't recognize our position, where we are in our heart, it will alter our perspective. The word perspective is defined as a particular attitude toward or the way of regarding something. Our perspective is our point of view. So, baby, would you read verses 13 and 14, because in verse 13 of Esther chapter 4, we see Mordecai helping Esther to understand and appreciate what's happening in this moment in her life. And even for Mordecai, it is an epiphany. He's beginning to recognize that God sent me here and God sent Esther here for more than just a beauty pageant. He sent us ahead so that we would preserve many lives. 
chapter, I mean, verse 13. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. So stop there for a second. What Mordecai, her mentor, is saying to her is simply this. Don't think that because you're in the palace position that it, this excludes you for what's about to happen. Are y'all with me? Many times we're disaffected because of our position. And when life is good for us, it doesn't really matter what's happening in the world around us. I'm blessed. My children are blessed. That's their problem. In fact, we become critical of the people who aren't doing as well as we are. And we become judgmental. And we forget the fact that all success engenders a debt to society. That God has called us as Christ followers to pursue more than just success because success is what happens to you, but he calls us to a life of significance and that is what happens through you. That every measure of success that you and I could ever achieve or enjoy is not for us to be a dead end. God wants to use your life as a freeway, not a tollway. Well, people have to pay to be affiliated and associated with you. Every measure of success that you and I will ever experience is for one reason and for one reason alone, what God wants to do through us. And we're blessed in the process. And that's why he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. So that. Why? Why? Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you can have a lot of stuff. The reason I'm going to bless you and make your name great is so that in order to, for this purpose, that you would be a blessing. And notice what he's saying to her. Listen, Listen to what her mentor, her cousin is saying to her. He said, don't think because life is good for you that you're untouchable. How many of you realize that trouble does not discriminate? It happens to the up and out, and it happens to the down and out. And in this moment, listen, can I just tell you? We all need a mentor. Because it is a mentor who is about to to help Esther understand this moment, this watershed moment this seminal moment, this pivotal moment, not only in her life, but for every Jew. In fact, Esther was in the palace and had no idea what was about to happen to her people. And how many of us, how many of us become oblivious to what's happening, what's happening in our world right now? I had a conversation with someone last night, a pastor. We went to a friend's birthday party and something that God has placed on my heart and I'm, I'm gonna start crying. Because I saw a documentary on Netflix. And the documentary, it's crazy, was a Japanese cooking show where where they go around the world and they find all these different exotic foods. And, And it was the first episode of the show. And the film crew and the producers, for whatever reason, of all the places they could have visited in the world, decided to go to Liberia. 
where I'm from. And as I'm watching the show, there's this one scene where they bring the camera crew to a cemetery. And there's over a thousand men and women living in the cemetery. These are young men and young women who during the Liberian Civil War saw their mothers and fathers killed, who were strung out on drugs, given AK-47s as child soldiers to kill the people who killed their moms and dads. And now the war is over. Many of them were as young as nine and 10 years old. Many of them never went to school. Now they're dealing with PTSD and drug addiction and have nowhere to go. And they're living in the cemetery. And so there's this one young lady that they began to interview. They said, where do you guys get food? Oh, we just steal people's cell phones and run away. And, and we sell the cell phone and we get enough money to buy food and drugs and we do it again. And so, so the camera follows this young lady because now it's dark. And the cameraman said, where are you going? She said, I got to go get some money. And she stands on the street corner overnight until about 6 a.m. the next morning soliciting men, selling her body just to buy her next meal. And so the camera crew is there the whole time, and then they show the scene where the guy comes and he talks to her, and they go off into a private place, and then she comes out, and he pays her 200 Liberian dollars, which with the current exchange rate is $1.50. And then she takes the money, and then she goes to a, this little place where they, where they, where they make the food, and, uh, and she, she orders something to eat, and... Uh, uh, she offers some to the guy from the crew, and he eats some of it. He said, oh, man, this is good. And he kept on eating, kept on eating the girl. I said, oh, pump the brakes, man. Let the girl eat something. And the Lord said, Ray, you do something about it. So last night I was talking to a pastor friend of mine and said, Ray, do you have any idea what you're talking about? There's 30,000 of these people in the capital city alone. Not speaking about the rest of the country. But I know that almost every day I wake up, I know that God's called me to do something. Jesse, I don't even know where I'm going to stop. The Lord said, you better build a dream center for these young men and women. A place where they will be rehabilitated. And where they will get off this drug addiction. And where you're going to educate them. And restore them to some sort of normalcy in their lives. And I said, Lord, how are we going to do it? And I know the Lord's going to help me. I know the Lord's going to help me. Because when you understand your position, that God has placed me in Plano, one of the wealthiest zip codes in all of America. It's got to be more than just to have church on Sunday morning. And go back home. 
it changes your perspective. And you, when you understand your position, you can no longer say, man, I live in Texas. It's the strongest economy in the United States. That's their problem. They'll figure it out. It changes our perspective and we can no longer sit idly by. We have to do something. So Mordecai says to Esther, don't think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace. Don't, don't think that somehow you're not connected to what is, what's about to happen to your people. Ray, don't think that somehow you're not connected to these 30,000 what we call zogos. You do something about it. And I will, by the grace of God. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I will. Because when you understand your position, it changes your perspective. You said you had something about your position. Yes, yes. Yeah, sometimes uh, in life you can think, okay, well, I didn't do anything to be in this position I am in. It could be because of uh, somebody else's mistakes. It could be because of an illness. And so when you find yourself in a position that you had no control about or you had no control over, sometimes, many times, we can be angry at God and we can choose to turn away from him. Well, God, if you were real, if you love me, why am I in this position? What did I do to deserve this? And when you find yourself in a position, I just want to... When you find yourself in a position where it wasn't your fault, namely a negative position, when you had no control over it, I want to encourage you not to doubt God then, not to say, oh, this is your fault. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where people have choices. And uh, yesterday uh, I had an opportunity to do a bereavement call Uh Last week, one of the, in the Liberian community, there's a large Liberian community in the Mid-Cities area in Arlington, and I'm a part of the Liberian Pastors' Wives organization. We have a bishop there, Bishop Kotu, and a bishop is an overseer, so it's like the pastor of pastors. And so Bishop is there. Uh, When I met Bishop, he had already been, when we married, he had already been in ministry 40-plus years. And so he's a little up in age. He's got two children. And um, Bishop's son took his life last week. And so the pastor's wives, we got together, and we went to minister to Lady Kotu because she's a bishop's wife. We call her mother. So we go to to minister to her, and we're there at the house. And Bishop said something very uh, profound to me as we're speaking of position and perspective. He said, uh, I am angry. I am very hurt. Uh, I'm disappointed. Uh, And he said, but I will not allow my son's death to be a fatal distraction. He said, before I had that boy, I had already served the Lord 40 years. And he said, and I will continue to serve the Lord. 
I don't know why I was talking to one of the, um, we were actually in a women's ministry meeting when I found out and that thing just kind of knocked me off my feet. And so thank God for women around you that can sit with you and cry with you. They cried with me and sat with me. And my question was, how does that happen? How do you serve God your whole life? And his son drove to Houston on his own free will and came back to Dallas in a body bag. And here's this grieving father, and he is placed in a position that was beyond his control. Everybody is looking to the bishop to see how are you going to read. This entire community is mourning. The women seem here. They don't even know him. And they're crying with me. But Bishop said, I know God and he is good. I don't understand why. And it was the groping. There is groping going on in the family, in that community, in that church. Trying to figure out what happened. What was the disconnect? Do you know the bishop is in charge of a center for suicide prevention? And so hard times, they don't discriminate. When you're placed in a position, I watched Bishop make his perspective be, God, you are good, and I will trust you. Still, as I'm angry and as I'm mourning, as I'm hurt, but God, you are good. And in the position he's been placed in, he is making a decision to take a position Yet will I trust you. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But you are God and I am not. And it's not a situation. God did not do that. Uh, There are so many dynamics to the situation. Uh, This boy was loved. His parents said yesterday, his mother said, do you know, even in the teenage years, he never raised his voice. He's never disrespected us. And they just don't understand. And so in life, things will happen. I need to use your used tissue. Life will happen, but we have to take a position now when things are as good as they are. When life happens, am I still choosing to trust God? When the unthinkable happens, do I turn away? Because there's so many things. I mean, my childlike faith is like, Oh, God, you could have blocked the gun. You could have made his car have a flat tire and not make it to Houston. You know, all these things that are going on uh, in in the human thought. But my position is I will trust God no matter what. And then I'm glad to be in community that we can see the unthinkable happen. And it was so because Bishop was talking to everybody in the room and he looked dead at me he said I will not allow this thing to be a fatal distraction and so sometimes life will all the time life will happen and it can be fatal distractions not fatal to our mortality but fatal to our faith fatal to our hope in God fatal to the dream that when you're 48 years old you've been away from your home country since 1993, and you're still like, God, I know you've called me to do something. How will I do it? When I met Pastor Ray, 
and this is not to give any light to Pastor Ray, but just to encourage you. When I met him, uh, soon after we were dating, we went to Tennessee to his mentor's uh, church, and uh, Ray was preaching for him. Uh, Pastor David Cook, who's gone home to be with the Lord. And Pastor Cook at his home was telling me a story. He said, I remember when, uh, I don't remember all the details, Ray was playing worship for us one day. And he said, I just saw over his head, it was a banner that said nation changer. I remember that. That's been 21 years ago. And so even as you're speaking, how is it going to be done? I still hold that thing in my heart with Pastor Cook told me. The banner over Ray's head before we got married was nation changer. And so it's going to happen. We don't know how. We don't know when. So be encouraged. The banner over your head may not be nation changer. The banner over your head may be mother. The banner over your head may be marketplace. The banner over your head may be entrepreneur, but everywhere your feet trod that there are people who need to know that they are loved with an everlasting God, a, a love by a God who will not fail them. People will fail them. Circumstances will fail you, but decide now while things are as well as they are, what position we will take when life happens and don't allow circumstances and people to allow you to get caught up into a fatal distraction. I can, I can just recall how many times I have been fatally distracted, but God, by God's grace and mercy, he's gotten me back on track. So be encouraged. This story of Esther is not just some fairy tale story to give you like little plugs just to make it until next Sunday. This is for you to place yourself, male or female, in a position. I am in this position. I'm looking right now. I see Michael Shell, And no many, that, that many people know his name. I see Shannon. So many other that people, you may not really know them, but the banner over their head is Ministry of Helps. Setting up without accolade, rain, sleet, and I'm not taking anything from anybody else, but I see them right now. Being just faithful in the few things. Do you know how many times, you would not have an idea how many times that one of these two men have seen me and just parked their car to help me bring in things. How many times they've seen me running in just before 10 o'clock and have taken my keys to park my car. And so the position right now where they are, it might not be that glamorous, but they are such a help, such a posture of servant, such a, and so many of you in here, I just want to give it, I'm just going to stick with them now, but I love you all, but such a posture of, and take a position in a perspective that is not beneath them. It's not beneath them to serve. It's not beneath them to bring in a box. Today, Shannon saw me carrying a box. He parks the truck after he dropped his wife off, parks the truck. Don't just take the box, brings it in and gets it to where it needs to be. So many times. So be encouraged in this. See yourself. It's not too late. And even if right now you are in a position, Cindy Lewis, that was completely out of your control. 
Be encouraged that God loves you and he's with you. He didn't do this to you and we are going to stand with you. But take a position now that my perspective will be. My hope is built on nothing less. But Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And that is, in essence, what Esther, what Mordecai is telling Esther. Is you can be in this palace and you can think this thing is not going to come for you. In verse 14, it says this. For if you remain completely silent, this is Mordecai speaking to Esther. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the, for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Yeah. So that's loaded. Uh, Mordecai, her cousin, her surrogate father and mentor is telling her, God's put you in this position uh, for this reason, for this purpose. But guess what? You can choose to miss this moment out of self-preservation or whatever. You can miss this moment. And guess what? God's going to raise somebody else up. Now, now, this is critically important because God has used Moses for 40 years. Moses was the one who had the rod and the rod turned into, into a snake and swallowed up all the other serpents and the rod parted the Red Sea. And God's plan was for Moses to bring these people to the promised land. But guess what? Moses didn't take him into the promised land. He missed his moment. And God had a Joshua who did it. We can play around with the plan of God and the purpose of God. But if we choose not to take this divine risk that God has called us into, whatever it is, God is so committed to his purpose that he will raise up another. Am I making this up? He is so committed to his purpose. And he is so committed to saving lives and he is so committed to raising people that if you and I choose to live a life of self-preservation and are unwilling to take that divine risk, he will raise up another. Are you listening to what I'm saying? And and, and so Mordecai says, don't think you're going to escape this thing. But if you choose to miss your moment, relief and deliverance will come from another place. God's going to do it with or without you. But he said, but who knows, Esther, if this is your moment? See, what the enemy will try to do, if, if, he, can't, if he can't destroy us, he will distract us. He, 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 will, he will keep your eye off of what God has called you to. And as long as you're distracted, he's good. As long as he can keep you from doing what God's called you to do, he's won the battle. As long as he can keep you distracted about all these little things, shiny objects over here, he's won the battle because he's kept you from God's purpose. 
Uh, uh, so he says, yet who knows? So this is purpose. Purpose is defined as the reason for which something exists. The reason for which something exists. And at some point, at some point, we all have to ask ourselves that question. Why, why, why on earth am I here? And Pastor Wendy is absolutely right. Maybe the banner over your head is mother. Maybe the banner over your head is father. Maybe the banner over your head is provider. And not everybody's going to be called to do what Esther did. But whatever God calls you to do, do it well. Do it faithfully. Do it with every, every ounce of creativity and strength that you have in you. And when you understand your purpose, the fourth thing is going to happen, and this is where we close. The fourth thing, the fourth and final thing is going to happen. When you understand your purpose, why you were created, it will change your posture, your posture. He said, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Let me tell you why I'm saying this. Uh, when Esther first got word of what was happening to her people, this is what she said back to Mordecai. She said, Mordecai, I, I can't initiate contact with Xerxes. It is against the law for anyone to present themselves to the king without being invited. If I go to the king and he doesn't extend his royal scepter to me, I'm going to die. You see, when we don't understand our purpose, our first response is always self-preservation. Our first response is, well, how is this going to benefit me? No, I ain't going to do this because I could die. I'm good, Mordecai. That was her purpose. That was her response before she understood her purpose. And that's where most of us sit because we don't understand our purpose. And everything we do, every decision we make is about self-preservation. No, I ain't going to do that. Too risky. But after Mordecai explains to her, check this out. Say, honey child, don't think because you're in the palace this thing is going to escape you, that you're immune to this. And if you allow this moment to pass, God's going to raise up deliverance from another place. You're not that important, Esther. You're not that important. You're not that important. You ain't that important, Moses, because I'm going to use Joshua. When she understood in verse 14, but who knows whether you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows whether this is your life purpose? This is the reason you were created. Her posture changed. Notice her posture after she understands her purpose. Most of us struggle with God's plan because we don't, listen, listen to what she says. Let me just say this. Let me just read this. Esther chapter 4 verse 15. It says, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. And she said, you're fast from me. Now there's no direct mention made of God in, in this entire book. The name God is not mentioned. Uh, there's no reference to a higher power. But we understand that the Jews knew and relied on, the, on God because they prayed and they fasted. And she's saying, if this purpose and God's plan for my life is going to be fulfilled, it's going to be the result of having trusted and rested and relied upon God. Listen to me. I don't know how we're going to do it. We're going to build a dream center for these Zogos. I don't know how it's going to, and I know it in my heart. We will transform hundreds Hundreds. Listen, let me, tell you, let me tell you why this is critical. Because these 
quote unquote Zogos, our brothers and sisters, the precious fruit of the earth, they are having children who are growing up with parents who are addicted and suffering with PTSD and living in poverty and who have resorted to a life of crime. Nia and Levi will grow up with them. That's why it's not yours, my responsibility to be a part of breaking the cycle. We're going to break that cycle. And, and, and so, and she says, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days or three nights. She said, my maids and I will fast likewise. I like Esther. Esther was a woman of prayer. She said, if this is going to happen, it's going to be birthed through prayer. And it's one thing to know the purpose of God, but it's another thing to rely on God entirely in order for it to come to pass. If this thing going to happen, it's not going to be because of how cute I am, how smart I am, what I got in my pockets, my connections. It's going to be a direct result of prayer. <laughs> and then she goes on to say, and she said, and so I will go to the king. Now, before she wasn't going to the king. But when she understood her, let me tell you something. When you understand your purpose, can't nothing stop you. And all it takes is a shift in your perspective, how you see your position. And when you see your position differently, you begin to understand your purpose, and then it changes your posture, what you do and how you move. And she said, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You know what she was saying? She's saying absolutely nothing else matters than fulfilling the plan and purpose of God. And if I die in the process, I'm willing. If this costs me my life, I will go to my grave knowing that I died in the process of fulfilling God's purpose for my life. And that's what God is calling us into in this season as Converge Church. He's saying, first of all, understand your position. Recognize that where you are right now is not by accident. The job you have, the neighborhood you live in, the friends you have, the associations you have, the interactions you have. I have placed you there, the pre-appointed times and boundaries so that you can seek the Lord and discover my purpose for your life and bring others into a place where they can experience me. My position will always determine and influence my perspective, not just what I see, but how I see. And when I begin to see the way God sees, it will help me discover my purpose. I will, I will begin to see my life purpose. And when I understand my life purpose, check this out, can't nothing stop you. That's what would take a frail little lady across the world to India to minister to lepers, Mother Teresa. That's when you understand your purpose. That's what, that's what Martin Luther King is made of and Nelson Mandela because they understood their purpose. And when you understand your purpose, your mantra becomes, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to die doing what God called me to do. Can't nothing Keep me from it. And that's why St. Thomas of Aquinas said it this way. If the primary aim of the captain were to preserve his ship, it would never leave port. 
But that's what most of us do. We build the boat and let it sit in port. No, you build the boat so the boat can sail. Even though you know there may be tempest, even though you know there may be storms, the reason you build the boat is for the boat to sail, not for it to sit in the dock because of the threat of an impending storm. Listen, when you understand your life purpose, your mantra becomes, if I perish, I perish. This is where we close. Oh, you got something? And then I'll wrap up. I just wanted to quickly encourage you, uh, for those of you who may feel like, oh, well, what is my purpose? I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. One place you can start, first of all, we are just, we were created to worship God. Not the school, not the jobs, not all these other things are bonus. We were created. But just to give you something to hold on to this week, Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared in advance for us to do. And so that's a great place to start, knowing that you're created by God, You are his workmanship. You are his handiwork. You are his prize. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that's a good place to start. If there's anything that you're doing that is not a good work, you're not created for it. So whether that's not, you know, getting your attitude in check, we're human. You can have an attitude, but just keep it in check. Is that, you know, uh, being defiant? Is it being rebellious? Is it being cantankerous or whatever we can be in our own flesh? We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. These good works were prepared in advance for us to do. And so that's a place of faith to stand on. God, you created me for good. I don't see where you're going to do it or how you're going to do it, but you will do it according to your word. So if you're struggling with it, well, I don't know why I was created. Let's just start there. Because the world will tell you, oh, you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be, everybody's not supposed to be Oprah. Everybody's not supposed to be Shaquille O'Neal. Everybody's not supposed to be Bishop Jakes. No shade to what God has called them to do. But that is not our goal, to be them. Because the older I get, the more I find out all of that stuff, it comes at a cost. And sometimes not a cost that we're really willing to pay. And so, God, you created me for good works. You can pray this week, God, reveal what those good works are. It may just be babysitting the neighbor's kids. Tell you a little funny story since I cried. So one of my neighbors had surgery. She's got four kids. So she said, can you come help me with the kids? I'm thinking, that's a good work. I've got homeschool. I'm going to go help her with the kids. And I'm fine because I can do kids. Well, while I'm there, she's like, and she's up a little bit. So I'm thinking she's got a baby. She's not supposed to lift the baby since the surgery. So I'm going to go and I'm playing with the baby. And the son comes over and plays with Levi. It's all good. Me, the neighbor, the four kids. And then she asked me, oh, can you cook me some eggs? And I immediately just felt some kind of way. And it was not holy. I do not know why I went from good works to, I mean, something triggered in me. Like, 
this ain't the help over here. Don't you see all this college degree I got while I'm homeschooling? I went to school so I didn't have to be cooking people eggs and cleaning their house. I mean, I was over there as long as it was all glamorous. And I'm telling you, I have beat my flesh. I ain't cook her eggs. I cooked the whole house eggs. I washed the dishes. I washed the counter and the stove. I said, oh, you want to act like you don't know Jesus? How about this? You'll cook some eggs and do some dishes. How about that, sis, with your grown self? I mean, sometimes you just got to, I'm created for good works. My good works that morning was cooking eggs for the neighbor. I don't know what that source of well, I do know what it is, but we just going to keep it under, you know, just that, that root of pride and self-righteousness. And so it just did my heart and my flesh good. And this happened weeks ago. So I've held on to that story as not to pat myself on the back. But it's just an example. I had to remember I have been created for good works. I am so disqualified from sitting right here if I couldn't have fixed her eggs. Disqualified. Just And just to do, and I mean, those were the best eggs. She and the kids, they ate the eggs. I, and I just felt good to myself. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are so alive in me that you can humble yourself and do a little extra. Whenever your flesh gives you trouble, just do some extra. Yeah. So that's why I end up doing the dishes. She was so happy I did the dishes. I'm like, no, sis, this is about me. This is just to beat my own flesh. Then she told me, oh, I've got coffee in there. I love coffee. She said, I just made myself. I think there's some left over. I am. This is so funny because I think God did this. When I turned up the coffee pot, it's stainless steel. I turned it. It had two drips. So I had to do dishes and I didn't get coffee. And I didn't even make myself eggs at her house. So the whole moral of this story is you're created for good works. Sometimes your flesh will try to fatally distract you from that good works go the extra mile so that you when you lay your head down you can get the well done that Christ had already predestined you for Amen. did that help anybody this morning awesome awesome let's do this let's pray and you can play as we pray uh, father we come to you now in Jesus name and Lord I thank We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Remember to stay connected with us on our website, weareconverge.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WeAreConverge. You can also partner with us financially by giving safely and securely online at weareconverge.com backslash give. Thank you and God bless.